calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Greetings, adventurers. Today we're excited to introduce you to a new story, Dark Dice, a horror podcast that blurs the line between actual play and audio drama, where the story is determined by the role of the dice. Six adventurers embark on a journey into the ruinous domain of the Nameless God. They will never be the same again. One of the players is not what they seem after a doppelganger, a creature that can assume the form and voice of whatever it kills, infiltrates the team. As the players are picked off and replaced one at a time, can they figure out who the monster is before it's too late? Can you? Here's a quick example of what our show sounds like. The, uh, shambler with the jar of liquid inside of him. Soren Arkwright let loose an arrow that cracked the glass, passing through the spine of the creature. The shambler still managed to maintain its forward momentum, but stumbled as it eagerly tried to bite and swipe at Soren, landing near his feet. As Jeff Goldblum has now joined our cast, Dark Dice is available however you listen to podcasts. My name is Aram. My pronouns are he, him. I am the writer and producer of the actual play Dungeons & Dragons podcast, God's Fall. And my name is Dylan. My pronouns are he, him. I'm a physicist from Canada. Welcome, Welcome to, to Kill, Kill Every, Every Monster. Monster. This week on Kill Every Monster, we are featuring the werewolf. The Monster Manual describes the werewolf as a savage predator. In its humanoid form, a werewolf has heightened senses, a fiery temper, and a tendency to eat rare meat. Its wolf form is a fearsome predator, but its hybrid form is more terrifying by far. A furred and well-muscled humanoid body topped by a ravening wolf's head. A werewolf can wield weapons in hybrid form, though it prefers to tear foes apart with its powerful claws and bite. We are joined by writer and game master Diana. Diana, or Super Dylan, is a tabletop RPG creator and entertainer, author of Neverland the Impossible Island, a 5e setting guide, one half of the Femsplain podcast, and a big old queer dork. Welcome to the show, Diana. Thanks. Thanks for that killer intro that you made up on the spot <laughs> about me. Yeah. Thanks for saying all those really nice things that you made up. It's just off the top of my head. And Ooh. for some reason, every single person I know, I just got a paragraph waiting to go. <laughs> I'm just like human LinkedIn. Really appreciate that you threw in big old queer dork at the end, which really sets people apart from our standard oeuvre for guests. So far, both hosts, every single guest queer. It wasn't on purpose. It's just like, that's just happens to be all the people we like. <laughs> <laughs> oh, except for Mel. Mel straight. But we still love you, Mel. Fantastic. Well, thanks for having me. So. First of all, Diana, 
what is a werewolf to you? Oh, a friend. (laughs) (laughs) A furry friend. Werewolves have been one of my favorite creatures for for a long time, predating, you know, my interest in in RPGs and stuff like that. Uh, Werewolves are so interesting to me because there are there's so many werewolf stories and there are werewolf stories that are real bad, real bad. And then there are ones that are really good. And I think that what sets the good ones apart is what is the werewolf's struggle. In, say, Twilight or True Blood, there's always some sort of parallel drawn to, like, drug addiction or weird tribal stereotypes are always, like, thrown in there. A good werewolf story has a more inner conflict. It's the conflict between some parts of yourself that you don't like or maybe wish that you didn't have to deal with and the parts of you that are easier. I can accept two metaphors for the werewolf story, and that is the queer metaphor and that is the chronic illness metaphor. Personally, I can't be asked to talk about werewolves without talking about uh, the fact that I have lupus. It's not just like in the name, like lupus is, is, is wolf and all of that, but there are real parallels that maybe lend to the theory that people with lupus were where this like myth may have originated from in that we get these like strange looking bite mark sized bruises all over our bodies when we get sick. This sort of like transformation process where they could be fine for months and then overnight become, you know, riddled with pain. We have a hypersensitivity to sunlight, which explains this. At this point, Diana has gestured to her general paleness. Yes. It'll be a tough sell on the podcast, but yes, absolutely. (laughs) It's not a visual medium, but trust me, I am reflecting light. I think the best werewolf stories tell a story where the werewolf has to not beat that thing, but become harmonized with it and find a balance between those two sides of themselves and learn to be happy and cohesive with it. Did that draw you to werewolf stories? Do you keep revisiting them as kind of a source of connection? Always, all the time. It's just a struggle because, like like we mentioned, a lot of them are pretty bad. Or a lot of them are coupled with vampires, and the vampires are for some reason... The vampires, the core story, the werewolves are kind of like... The, the some sort of weird subplot. Group. Yeah. But you know what? I take my scraps. What's your favorite werewolf movie or werewolf show? I am so glad you asked. I am (laughs) so annoying about this. And it is very specific. It is the U.S. or actually, I guess it's the the Canada uh, version of being human. We're all hiding something, aren't we? From the moment we wake, look in that mirror, all we do is... In our little lies. We make good TV. Something. Shut up. <laughs> no, legitimately, you do. They make fantastic B-roll up there in Canada. 
It's good. I just forget because it's it doesn't have an accent on it, so it must be yeah. yeah no, I gotcha. I mean, the UK version of the show is fine. It's it's fine. Whatever. But Josh from the US version or the Canada version of Being Human is probably my favorite werewolf. He is a sweet Jewish boy who just does not want he did not ask for this. But he it ends with him accepting it and making it a full part of himself. That right there, that's why I specifically bring up the way D&D tries to make it part of the alignment struggle is like you lose the control and then they specifically have a line in there talking about how the way you deal with it like if you come to control the beast is like you accept the curse is you just take on chaotic evil as an alignment if you're going to have control over this it's because you gave up on being a person and became a wolf and now you're a monster which is just like for something that is so clearly a metaphor for you know dealing with parts of yourself that you are not happy with Mm mm-hmm trying to bottle up being queer oh you became a queer now you're a, you're an evil homo you terrible monster you know you have a chronic illness and you've just accepted it and made it part of yourself and now you're a monster do you think the werewolf is a monster i, I don't think it makes a whole lot of sense for a creature that as far as most lore is concerned is a full human for a vast majority of its existence and spends one day as a, you know, as this alternative form. Like, I think that the assumption that the entire person is corrupted and is monstrous because of that seems silly. It it ties back into something that I will essentially make a theme of this podcast, which is that like D&D should stop touching horror monsters. They can have the mummy. Yeah, you can have the mummy. That's fine. I I feel like it doesn't do sentient monsters well. If we're talking about like a full-on animalistic monster without human traits, great, go for it. But once they start trying to toy with something that they don't do nuance well, so I guess that's what I'm getting at. Yeah. A dragon turtle, lots of fun. Sits in a harbor, sinks your boat, wants you to drop some gold into the water. That's great. When they try and do something with like human needs, then sometimes it varies. Yep. The werewolf cannot be considered a just in the box monster. They are a person with motivations. Maybe that werewolf has good motivations. Maybe they have bad motivations. Maybe that makes them a monster. But just as a creature to say they are a monster, especially when it is an affliction If you want a sympathetic monster, a sympathetic villain, or or a villain that can be redeemed in your story, what what better like opportunity there is than for someone who's this close? I want to see the character that like has accepted their werewolf apart and like can just be in their werewolf form and their friends are comfortable around that. I want to see like them like taking a short rest and like the mage curling up in mm-hmm. the werewolf's fur on their belly. Like that's like, like you don't see like a caring, sweet, fuzzy. You don't see that very much, but that's what I daydream about when I'm just, it's just, is <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> curling up with my werewolf friend by a fire. Yes. It would be amazing. You'd feel so safe in their arms. Like giving scritches to your best werewolf friend. The back leg just goes. 
Like dig a hole three feet deep. But he's like embarrassed about it. He's like, stop, don't make my back like cake. <laughs> you keep doing that, I'm going to turn back into a person and then you're going to be scratching a person's belly and you're going to feel like a weirdo. Yeah. <laughs> 100% in support of all of this. <laughs> a player character can be infected with lycanthropy. And if that, and, and then if they fail a saving a throw, they have a choice. They can either accept it and become basically just a non-playing character that has become fully bestial, or they can fight against it, and then like occasionally every month it'll crop up and be a problem, but they can also change at will into this other form, right? And that form gives them damage, res- damage immunity, which is immunity. interesting. Yeah. Because every, every werewolf story is regeneration. But this is damage immunity to piercing and blunt and slashing as long as it's not silver or magical. So it does incorporate like all the werewolf stuff, but it's it's different. I mean, it's similar to how White Wolf does it, where you have three forms, not just like the two. You have like the human form and then the halfway between human and wolf form and then the full wolf form. No AC increase as the wolf, which that bothers me. If you are strength 15 or higher, it's just like, that's it. You don't get a strength bonus. You turn to a werewolf and you grow no stronger, which is weird and doesn't fit at all into the idea of a werewolf. You should always get strong. If you are a cloud giant and you become infected with lycanthropy and you turn into a werewolf cloud giant, you should be a slightly stronger cloud giant. Yeah. It feels like it's nerfed. It does feel nerfed. Goodness knows why. A lot of D&D writing, and we talked about this before, a lot of D&D's writing is defensive because they know who their audience is. And they know if they give this big, powerful buff been turning into a werewolf, should be there should be consequences and it, there, there should be role-playing stuff, right? But there's big, huge point bonuses. And there are a lot of players who will just be like, I'm going to abuse the hell out of the role-playing stuff and just take the point bonus. So they're writing defensively. The paladin has gained lycanthropy, so his strength went up to went up plus four. Why would we not have the paladin just bite just bite the fighter then? Just give it to the werewolves. Give it to yeah. the party. It's fine. <laughs> just bite everyone, right? I think there's two ways to fix this. I think you have to make the main werewolf a little stronger. There has to be an addition for every, like a plus two to everyone for strength. There has to be an AC bump. There has to be a speed bump. All those things have to happen. But I th- also think that to make it interesting there should be a secondary werewolf form. This idea that you can just accept it and become bestial and like you have to assume these creatures exist. So if the werewolf is challenge three, there should be a challenge six and that should be what this is. And then additionally, even if you fight against it and and you retain this human hybrid, every 30 days, you should churn into the bigger creature and not have control because that's a hell of a lot more for your friends and everyone to have to deal with and for you to have to plan for. And it really represents like something bigger and greater than what you're normally dealing with. I do agree with the regeneration thing, but I would have it as, you know, you start to regenerate after you shift out. So you're not regenerating in werewolf form. You, you regenerate after. But I would also give exhaustion after you shift out. And I would have your humanoid form be exhausted by just the fact that you went through that. Your body changed and exuded a whole bunch of energy that it doesn't normally have 
And now you're also feeling the effects of being this like puny thing again, this weaker version of yourself. I almost run in the opposite direction, where to me, one of the major things about a werewolf is that it is a shape changer. But there's next to no real benefit, generally speaking, like they're a monster and they're not supposed to be a PC, except in those very select conditions. There's no reason for it to ever be a person when it's interacting with the party. There's no reason for it to ever be a wolf, almost full stop. So why is it a shape changer? Like, I know it's because werewolves in the mythology and everything, but like, I would almost want to encourage it to switch back and forth. Maybe you do give it immunity. We've had this argument around. Yeah, multiple times. Immunity is just fast enough regeneration. If it regenerates faster than six seconds, it's it's immune to damage, and it's just like, oh, the cut opened and it closed. Also, they have a troll, and they can't have it be the same monster. Right. It's frustrating that then you can't, like, hit a werewolf with a rolling rock, incapacitated for a couple rounds while you run away. In every werewolf movie, someone at some point always hits it with, like, a car, right? There's always that moment where they're almost going to die, and then a car just, boof, just takes the thing out, and it buys you, like, 30 seconds. And that's, you know, as it's knitting itself back together. But this is where we come back to D&D needs to stop doing horror monsters, because all of those scenes run on the basis of the person being attacked by the werewolf being weaker than the werewolf. Whereas D&D always comes from an angle of the party as a whole, you know, individuals obviously know, but the party as a whole is as strong, if not stronger than the creature they're up against. So that moment where you really need to like buy yourself time by hitting them with a truck and then getting out of the truck and running or like those desperation moves don't exist. I agree with you, like in a narrative sense, that's way more interesting. But also if you're playing Dungeons and Dragons, like it's not built to tell a horror story. It's built to trade punches or to be balanced so obsessed with balance i back it as a concept where it's like you want the dm to have a sense of scale i want to be able to throw something that the party can't handle at them but know that they can't handle it so that we're in a situation where the fight is is fair in that i'm choreographing this is too big you should back down then it got perverted into always make sure that the fight is fair and balanced and everyone has an equal no no it's just like don't crush the party when you don't mean to. Yes. Don't throw a villain at the party that they eat immediately. But I think the strangest design choice in the werewolf is the fact that it is a monster you inherently should be prepped for at a challenge level where the players don't necessarily have that option. So it creates that illusion where this should be a horror monster. This should be a conflict where you have to hit them with the truck, get out of there, figure out what you're dealing with, because no one has silver weapons. Right, right. At level two or three, it's a miracle if anyone has a fucking plus one dagger. And yet somehow we're in a situation where this monster will not take damage unless you are appropriately prepared. That's just an odd choice. Yes, but also as the DM, that then gives you the opportunity to like drop the silver weapon like 10 games previously, knowing you're going to use it. Yeah, but then if you've got it 10 sessions early, then the damage resistance doesn't matter because everyone knows exactly what they've walked into. They saw the werewolf and like, oh, we've got the silver weapon. Pull that out. Let's win this fight. Yeah, but you got one. You got one. You like always be an odd weapon here's your silver hand axe or here's your silver bolo, whatever the hell. Like, like just give them something weird that they're never going to use unless they have to use it. Or 
you could go the other route and have it be a slow burn mystery. Who's this guy they keep seeing all over, you know, like all over town? Like, where does he disappear to? And, you know, like, and like, you know, town rumors that they get to like seed over multiple sessions and then they get to fight over what they think he really is. And then werewolf is like on the board, yeah, but it's only one of like seven other options. It could be a werewolf, could be a vampire, right. could be a changeling, shape-shifted silver dragon. They're making like wooden weapons just in case. They're making some silver <laughs> ones just in case. Everyone's got something. One person's got holy water. <laughs> yeah. Party's got a running pool going of who's going to be useful in this next fight. Is there anything else you want, you want to add before we go on? Just like if anyone out there is secretly a werewolf, please tell me. <laughs> <laughs> like it's safe. We'll leave Diana's me. Twitter in the in the show notes. Please contact them. <laughs> I'm safe. I'm a safe person to tell. I can vouch. 100% safe. (laughs) (laughs) Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, Coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. So now that we've laid out how to run a game, how about we speed run that entire adventure in about 30-ish minutes? Fantastic. How, how is this working? Who am I? So you are the werewolf. <gasps> Great! Essentially, we, the entire the benefit of being a guest, the, the trade-off for having to deal with us, is that you are now the monster and we're going to throw Aram, who is going to, as is his tradition, play a bit of an asshole and you get to murder him. Oh, fantastic. And I am here to be a referee. Laika, we'll call her. Uh, She is, she's just in the middle of this quiet, safe spot in the woods that she has carved out for herself. She knows that no human village for sure is in a two mile radius of this spot. She has searched so long for a spot that is that far away from any humans. And so she's sitting and she's sipping, more like smelling a cup of herbal tea that is full of hot wolfsbane. And it just is drinking it in through her nose and saying some calm affirmations about how it's gonna be fine tonight. There are not gonna be any humans here tonight. You are not gonna kill anyone tonight. Breathe in the wolf's bane, but not gonna kill any humans. This is gonna be fine. So tell me, Laika, how how did she become a werewolf? Was this inheritance was there an incident uh there was an incident but you know water under the bridge uh he he didn't you know mean it i didn't realize that at first but you know then i got to know him and then i changed and i realized that you can't always control what happens so bygones you know, and everything. It's hard to point fingers with fingers in your mouth. Exactly, right? exactly. 
Not that she's ever done it. She hasn't done it, but like she came close a couple of times and it's pretty freaky uh, to say the least because like, you know, I mean, that's easier. That's easier than getting knocked up. Like it's, you know, like you could just all of a sudden be responsible for, for really throwing a whole wrench in this human's life. And it's not, not a fun responsibility um, to have. So, so no, she just finds quiet spaces near enough to a city where she can live a normal life for most of the month. And then goes out and has her, uh, you know, there are like, she has like some like, like candle lanterns, like hanging in the treetops a little bit. She's got incense burning. Are we doing the, uh, the inversion joke of like once a month? It's like, no, no, I've got to go visit grandma. Yeah. I'm going to just wander off into the woods. Yeah. <laughs> and she's just got, I mean, like, I, I, I think she's got like, like talismans of relaxation from every religion, like just in case whatever calming effect she can harness. She's, she's got them all hanging around. Yeah, my dad's an atheist, but he had me baptized, and I asked him later, like, why? And he's like, you know, insurance. Yeah. Right? You can't be too careful. <laughs> that is fun and peaceful and likable and relaxing. Like, she's happy to go into into town. In fact, she, like, spends all her time there. It's just when it's, like, wolfy out, right. then she goes out into the woods. So, like, if it's, like, a normal day, again, you know, she packs up all her relaxation devices and kits and she'll head back into the town, restock what she used. It's been a busy month. You're getting down to the deadline. You have to do your prep work. So we see you in the general store buying, you know, the wolf's mane for your tea, a couple of relaxing candles in the store. We've got the grandest of fantasy tropes, the man in the hood who has been kind of skulking around town. Aram, do you want to describe what we're working with here? Yeah, so it's just the right black. There are people who wear black on black on black and seldom is it done right. The black of the boots, the black of the cloak, even the extra threading. So there's like a matte black cloak, all deep, all perfect from tip to tails, the same black. But then there's deep black threading that has a gloss and sheen of all this intricate elven weave all the way down this cloak and all the way around the edge of the hood that's drawn deep and low. So it comes out about a full foot in front of his forehead so that the shadow never drops from his face. His arms are always held in and he always sits like his back against the wall. Very, very quiet, polite, orders food, orders drinks, talks to people in a low, polite tone, always has a coin to share for information, but is otherwise completely disengaged with everyone around him. You have this real talent where every time we do one of these, you utter the first line. I'm like, you piece of shit. <laughs> I know. I know. Thank you. You've been in town for a couple of days and you've found like these little signs, little, little off inklings that have given you a hint that you're in the right place. Then when you go to the store, to the, to the general store, and you find someone who's been collecting Wolfsbane, 
She's definitely wearing a red cloak with a hood. 100%. And has a little wooden be. basket with like <laughs> with all of her herbs sticking out. And she's like kind of leaned over the counter with like her foot like kind of kicking back and forth and she's like, "Did you get any of that incense that I liked the one with the lemongrass?" Um, okay, hold on. I, I put some of it aside because I knew you were going to come back in, but people have been asking. It's the good stuff. Like, let, let, I tried to make sure I didn't sell all of it. Let me just go into the back room. I will check. I'll be right back for you. Thank you. Aram, you know something is not right. I am going to use primeval awareness. As an action, I can expend one ranger spell slot to sense whether any aberrations, celestials, dragons, elementals, fey fiends, or undead are present within one mile of you, or within six miles if it's my favorite train, which this is. This feature does not reveal the creature's location or number, just confirms that there is a creature within the area. So I would say that my character would step into the darkest shadow they can find nearby and look for a spider's web. Do you want to do you want to explain why we're specifically going for the spider's web around? As they would reach up, their hood would fall back a little bit from their head and a clear elven ear dark as midnight can be seen tucked under their shock white hair and they pull it back quickly. Then there's little markings of spiders all sewn in little insignias and clear prayers, not to Lotho to Elastry. This is clearly a drow that spent a lot of time in Loth's council, understands the spiders and their ways, but worships another god now. And they're looking to the spiders now as one might read tea leaves. The drow's eyes flare with violet magic beneath his hood, and the world around him, at least from his perspective, grows dim. Silver moonlight illuminates a small area around him, dancing along the spider's dew-covered web. His name is Zade. He is a young drow who was taken in by priests of Elistry after fleeing the Underdark and became a fervent worshipper of the moon goddess. He has spent the last year training to hunt down all who would threaten the kindness and generosity of her faithful, all who would pervert the light of the moon and set out on his great quest only a fortnight ago. While he's uh, reading the spiderweb, and I'm like kind of waiting for my incense to come out from the back, can I notice him or would I not? I would like you to roll a perception at advantage. Yeah. My guy is obvious. That's going to be uh, 15. As you've got your uh, shopkeeper in the back looking for this wolfsbane incense, there's a point where that little bit of wolf, the bleed through, those effects that like still last even when you're completely out of that space. You smell wolfsbane. He's found some flowers that give it like this really nice peppery undertone. There's all these comforting smells associated with it, but this is sharp. It's tangy, it's acrid, it's something acidic. There's someone here who has like a tincture of wolfsbane. 
It smells toxic. I am curious about that. There are not a whole lot of reasons for for the humans to use that. Like, I mean, some of them do, but not like a lot. So, I mean, it's possible this this person is maybe wolfy like me or something and just deals with it differently. So I'm going to walk over there. I'm going to take a look at his whole aesthetic that's happening. His goth hot topic aesthetic that's happening. But also like too nice for like this little sort of middle of nowhere forest town. No one has perfectly sewn black leather gloves in this town etched with silver. But she's, she wouldn't really pick up on that, but she does notice the all black, the jet black aesthetic thing going on. Oh, hey, hi, so, hold on, hold on. Just a second, just a second. I know, um, I can part with this. I can part with this. And she's gonna come up to you and she's gonna pull out like a really fluffy sprig of lavender that has all the flowers still on it. And she's just like, it's just, you'd be surprised. I like what you have going on, but a pop of color, like just a little pop. And you have, your ear is just perfect to hold it. Just, it would be, it would be nice and you can have it. Zare would look up. He would just gently pull back his cloak and like just this, just brilliantly dark purple, a skin with this shock white hair eyes that are kind, but also dangerous. And all of his movements are very slow and purposeful. He gently takes it. There's just the slightest curl of a smile in his lips as he slides it in and that bright lavender just hits perfectly against his skin. (gasps) I knew it. He nods, a gift must always be returned. Um, yeah. Uh, did you have something in mind? Because, I mean, I'm free right now. What is it that you wish of me? Oh, I just, you seem very interesting. Uh, and you seem, you know, um, I don't know, like we might have something in common. And I don't really have things in common with a lot of people here. So, um, I don't know. Maybe we could just talk. He would turn to the spider web and he'd look up at it. And this whole time he's had like one gloved finger gently stroking one of the silky connector threads, right? One of the main anchor That's what they're points. called, yeah. Yeah, silky connector threads. That's- silky connector threads. Yeah. It's a technical <laughs> term, Diana. It's a thing. Listen, if you were a spider, you would know what the words were. Yeah, okay. exactly. Their eyes followed the spider from this web, which had crawled out over your character and lowered them and just kind of lowered down on a single thread. And as you finished your sentence, just alighted on your shoulder. Your offer is kind and I accept. Like, uh, hey, I just enough. I've just got a little bit, but uh, I do have to close up soon. So do you want to wrap this up? I can get this all bagged up for you and we can oh, get us out of here. Yeah, I again, sorry. Uh, of course. Uh, thank you so much again uh, for that. And like, 
get a couple extra coins for your trouble. Thank you so much. New friend, let's go. Zari would just walk alongside you. You see, like, just the faintest. Like, the sun's starting to go down, the torches in town have been lit, and you see the shimmer of just the strands, the spider web left on the back of the cloak. There aren't a lot of ideas a spider can convey. There are two that you get. Yes. Soon. (laughs) You two spend a decent evening like the sun was starting to get low it was starting to get dark but it hadn't set yet and basically up till near actual like sunset just a nice peaceful walk a little conversation talk about the drow homelands from the day my neck was strong enough to hold up my head it was a constant fight to keep the two of them attached she's riveted she's just like Oh my gosh, and how did you survive? At seven years old, I slayed my first cave monster. (gasps) Oh my gosh. So was there any, like, one thing that, like, really changed you? Like, you know, like, one moment that totally changed the course of your life forever? Like, a big thing that came out of nowhere? As you would say that, like, it's been a relatively cloudy evening. And as we're walking along this path, there's, we come to a clearing. And as we do, the clouds part in front of us and the silvery orb of the moon slides out and just bathes us in this silvery light. And I would stop for a moment and I would look up and I would genuinely smile and I would nod and just say, yes and keep walking. That being said, you just, you know what day it is and you just saw how bright the moon is. Okay. You got a time limit. Um, I usually, wow, this is so exciting. Okay. I usually, I, I have like a whole big thing that I have to do beforehand because otherwise it just is, is mess. Do you do something like that? Do you have like a ritual? May I help you with your preparations? Uh, sure, sure. Yeah. Uh, uh, well, we go out just a little bit further. It's just, you know, it's away from everybody. Uh, and I don't accidentally make children, you know? Uh, So it's just pretty, you know, like at night things get wild. Um, So it's just, we're going to just go away from everyone and I'll I'll make some tea. It's very good. This, this blend right here. Oh oh my God. It really calms the nerves. And then you, um, it just, it it makes things a little bit easier uh, and smoother and less um, um, chompy. It feels, you know, it feels all all like uh, bone breaky and, and gross, but this helps uh, to, to calm it down. So I think, I think you'll like it if you've never tried this before. Then we cut forward to where we, where we came for our introduction. 
we cut forward to Laika kind of sitting in the clearing, doing a little sip, the sniff, just kind of luxuriating in that like steam, really just kind of feeling it soak into your body. And we pan a little bit just from in front to a little off to the side where we can see directly behind you, leaning up against one of the trees in the clearing, is Zadi just pinky up, sipping tea. No luxuriating. It's almost like he's doing it for like the nutrients of it. This is this is a drink. Sipping tea, but the eyes never leave her. Like they're just focused straight forward the whole time while this waft of steam goes past them. Like what's it look when things start? When things start, there is a like calm moment where she places her tea down and like just takes like the two trees nearby and like braces herself. And there's like an awkwardly long moment where nothing happens, but she is like just grimacing with like the weight for this moment. It almost looks like she's trying to push these two trees down. And she will look up at him and just say, sorry, I, I don't know if it's like this for everyone. I just don't love this part. Just to be prepared, Slayer's Prey. As a bonus action, you designate one creature you can see within 60 feet. And the first time each turn that you hit that target with a weapon attack, it takes an extra one die six damage. This benefit lasts until you finish a short or long rest, or if you designate a different creature. And then the transformation starts. The tea does its job. This process is not clean. It is a not, it's not a wild shape. This isn't a transformation, it's a growth. As the bones extend, they crack when they need to move. The skin gets pulled too taut and then gets loose as it grows to fit the new form. Mostly, the, the only part of this that almost feels good is the muscles. When the muscle starts to come in and really feel out, fill out that almost like baggy flesh, that just outpouring of strength, that moment where the fingers clench into the trees and you just feel them bite through the bark. And suddenly you are just so much stronger. Yeah. It's the only part of this that really like, it's that and the smells. What I would like to happen is I would like to go full wolf, but I would like mid transformation when I hit that hybrid point for that to be the moment that I see this so that I can scream that he needs to It's the tail end of that where like you've gripped in, you scream like you realize the mistake this person is not transforming that this they are not one of yours and then all of a sudden after you've screamed and it starts to turn into that howl, everything snaps. It's the fastest part of the transformation. When you go full wolf and it goes from these huge lanky arms to just snapping in and then you fall to all fours. Zadi, you see in front of you a wolf bigger than any wolf should be. He had hoped she wasn't what she was saying. He liked her. He really did, but his God wants her destroyed. 
Bonus action, Hunter's Mark pulls out the crossbow, throws the cloak aside, and we're just going to go. Attacking with my crossbow. I really, really like her too. <laughs> That's going to be a nine plus eight is 17. Uh, Yeah, that'll hit. Because I have Hunter's Mark, because I focused my ranger abilities upon you, my first strike is one die eight plus four plus two die six Jesus. with a silvered crossbow. Okay. Two plus four is six, and then plus two dice six more. A total of 14 points of damage. <laughs> that makes me feel terrible. It's the absolute betrayal. Like you had such a <laughs> nice, yeah. such a nice evening. You thought like this was someone who like could relate to your struggle. Yeah. And then all of a sudden there was no running. You saw him just not even brace. He took just a marksman stance. As soon as that bolt strikes your shoulder and that yip comes out of you, you would hear a harsh series of words in drow. This kind of like warbled under voice. Hold on in there. He seems to be shouting a command at someone. You have the keen hearing and smell. Would you like to make a perception at advantage? 19 plus four, so yeah. So you immediately hear just the lightest rustling. It's it's too big. It couldn't just be like rabbits. It's too high up. It couldn't be a bird because they tend to move like far more delicately. There are no huge birds of prey in this area and he's not moving. It can't be him. And when you look at the corner of your eye, you see this shape. Too many legs and there are too many eyes and there are those mandibles out front as a tremendous spider starts bursting out of the canopy of the trees. Well, I'm going full wolf brain, uh, and uh, there is, like, in the very back of her head, that, like, little human voice that's, like, happy he's defending himself because she doesn't want to kill anybody, but she's not in charge right now. So wolf is going to go and is going to charge and is going to leap, is, is going gonna, is gonna to bite him. You got your two attacks. You got the bite and the claws. Apparently, claws is only hybrid form. Oh, you're right. Yeah. Try to pounce him and and just tear into his throat. Ooh. Okay. Okay. Wait. Where's my attack? Uh, uh 19. 19 is definitely gonna hit me. What was it? D8. D8 plus two. Uh, meh. Uh, that's gonna be four damage. He's got to make a DC 12 Constitution saving throw. That's going to be a 15 total. I want to see if I can knock him down with my, like, leap. I'm absolutely on board for that. Let's do an opposed athletics there. My athletics total is going to be 8 plus 4 is 12. So that's going to be 13. Oh, just got me. <laughs> Yeah, so you slam into him, you bite down, you can feel the pressure where you've like snapped through a bit of leather on his arm, but he's gotten you up. That being said, blocking threw him completely off balance and you just topple over onto him. That confidence you saw, that stance he took, that is over. You, you've realized just now, Ram, that this is a bad idea. There are no wrong ideas with God, Dylan. Mm -hmm. As the werewolf comes down on top of me and I go down on my back, I would say that the spider comes down on top of Luca's back and tries to bite them. 
Okay, that is going to be a 14 plus 5 is 19 to hit. Absolutely hits. Okay, so the bite itself doesn't do any damage to you because it is not magical. However, it has poison. So I need you to make a DC 11 constitution save. Got it. 17. Okay, yeah, you make it. So there's like a burning, right? But you're just too tough. The poison doesn't do anything to you. Yeah. So my bonus action then uh, is going to be, uh, I'm gonna cast Ensnaring Strike. The first shot, that crossbow bolt hurt Diana, but the moment that spider lands, there's, there's the weight of it hitting you but this is a little bit more familiar. You know, you've hunted in this form before, so you feel fangs hit your back and just try and nothing. You feel like the moment where it tries to like inject poison and it's just damp and it's irritating. It feels like a rash. Given that I'm not telling the wolf not to attack something, I can divert the wolf and, and attack the spider instead. snarl at him, but I want him to know that it's a snarl of disappointment. It's just like and then she's gonna begrudgingly get off of him and and to turn to bite the crap out of the spider. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully. 18? That is, yep. Uh, seven damage this time. Oh, yeah, that takes a big old chunk. So the spider has 16 hit points, so you, like, tear a leg off it. Yeah. So, yeah. Oh, so you're running yeah. the combat now. I see how it is. <laughs> Sorry, Dylan. Please go ahead. No, so the spider only has 16 hit points, so you take a big old chunk of it. You tear a leg off yourself. Yeah. Uh, wow, Dylan, it's so evocative. There's the bit where you're, like, getting off him. You're giving the, the opportunity. Just please, for the love of God, just get out. Mm-hmm. And you turn and you just grab at this thing. It's like rearing up again. You know the spider pose where it's going to bite. And you just grab, like, say, the second row of legs and you just wrench. And you hear the same sound as, like, snapping a branch. So it just gives and, like, hangs there. There's just enough. If it's a giant spider, there's enough meat to, like, hold it on there. But the exoskeleton under your teeth has just shattered. And it almost falls over to one side when it tries to land and take its own weight. I'm going hybrid because I want to talk to this asshole. It lands after you bite the leg. The spider kind of buckles, and then it tries to make a second lunge. And while we kind of follow the spider with the camera, and then it comes back, there's the point where just this huge, almost foot-wide hand just palms its entire, like, thorax, that midsection, and just holds it back as your shape, your face starts to kind of like snap and extend a little bit. The muzzle starts to kind of hybridize with a mouth, like a standard human mouth. Anything you want to say at this point? God, you are very frustrating. (laughs) And Aram, it's your turn. Now that you've gotten off him, he rolls forward in one clean motion. He's on his feet. He has a boot in his crossbow. He's pulled it back, cocked it back, reloaded and raised it while he's on his knee, right? Pointed at you. But he doesn't fire because he's out of actions. But he's he's listening. He's like, his eyes are so narrow. They're barely looking through a squint. But he holds and listens In this form, I have two attacks. So I'm going to claw the spider one more time across the spider face. 
Uh, that's gonna be a 14. Oh, that just misses. I'm gonna walk up to Mr. Crossbow with his big, tough crossbow. <laughs> just picturing a werewolf like, Mr. Crossbow with your big, tough crossbow <laughs> yeah. walking up to you. I want to claw and hit his crossbow and yeah. knock it out of his hands if I can. So that's gonna be a 16. That hits my AC. You transform and there's a point where you basically like dig the claw in a little bit. You squeeze trying to see like, can I just, no, then push back. And when you come back, it's almost like that stomp of like Mr. Crossbow with this big crossbow and the hand plants across like, you get like the three fingers kind of along the, uh, the shaft of the arrow and then the two, the thumb and the pinky on either side of the front of that bow and it just squeezes until it snaps. It's like every superhero movie where they yes. where they reach up and and, crush, and the crush the gun, except it's a crossbow. Exactly. The only real failing to this is when you do that, you feel the tip of that bolt kind of flick up into your arm and you feel that burn. You felt it before it's silver. Like he came in here. This person was carrying Wolfsbane. He came in with silvered bolts. This man's trying to actively kill you. With that realization, I take my other hand and I reach behind his ear and I take that lavender back <laughs> and I smush it in my hands and I I let it crumble to the ground. <laughs> You're not worthy of this lavender. I liked you. I thought we were going to be friends. You left him with like a trigger in his hand, right? Yeah. Which he instantly, a drop, pulled out a non-silvered scimitar that's glistening with poison. His eyes are, again, narrow and focused and filled with a, like, a drive that doesn't make any sense to you whatsoever. And then he just, like, and he softens. And he lowers his sword. And he grits his teeth. That odd. Many of your kind. I can save you for last. And he puts the sword away and he goes, and the spider runs back into the forest. You can hear the skittering. It's like you heard it the first time, just like perfectly, just it's arrhythmic now. Yeah. yeah. It's seven eighths. <laughs> it's just not quite right as it kind of like goes up a tree and into the darkness. How about we find them together and then we don't kill them? I can't find them on my own. He'd pause because a werewolf ally in hunting other werewolves would be valuable. He fully expected just to like darkness drow out, right? To like, you know, cast darkness and drow out, right? But this is an enticing offer. And I think as like the camera closes on us, he would stop and turn and there'd be like that shot of us like about 20 feet apart as the moonlight shines down in this clearing and you would just see him take one step forward and then the camera cuts to black. Thank you for joining Kill Every Monster and our good friend Diana, AKA Super Dylan, as we learned more about our furry friend, the werewolf. Wanna see our lore keeper notes Check out all of our subscriber rewards at patreon.com slash killeverymonster. If you want to suggest creatures for future episodes or talk about the monsters we've discussed on the show, head on over to our Discord. 
You can find links on killeverymonster.com. And we'll see you next time for Kill Kill Every Monster. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. The ancient mountainous deserts to the south of Faerun are the places where mortals first raised great temples and unlocked powerful secrets. A kingdom once fractured by infighting has been united under the iron claw of the red dragon, Chazar. The great lizard's quest for immortality has become an all-consuming obsession. His need for worshippers has set him on a path against the old gods of these lands, and they will not go quietly. An unlikely cabal of deities has banded together to undermine Jazar and ensure that their temples remain protected and active. They've traced tendrils of fate to preferred timelines, then selected five mortals who had the best chance of bringing those futures to fruition. You will take on the role of one of these chosen in Death to the Dragon King. Find out more about this Start Playing Games campaign and all of my other available games at aram.gay.